Thank you for downloading this podcast from Bromley Town Church. We pray this message will refresh and encourage you. For further information about Bromley Town Church, you can go to our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, we call upon you. You say in your word, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. We are asking now, we are calling now, that as we open your word, you will show to us great and unsearchable things that we did not know because you are now wanting to put this knowledge, wisdom and understanding into our hearts. Lord, we open ourselves to you. We declare our hearts are open. We declare our need of you, O God. Come upon us with the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible with you, then please turn to 1 Kings 17. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's absolutely fine. Uh, you can listen as I, as I uh, read it. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, and if you don't have a Bible at all, see me afterwards, and I will get one for you without cost. Elijah, over the last uh, couple of weeks, we've been looking at Elijah. Two weeks ago, we looked at Elijah, his background. Last week, we were looking at Elijah, what was he like? And we're going to press in again this week to look more at Elijah. But we're actually going to come, and I'm going to read... How much am I going to read? We're going to read the first 16 verses of this chapter. 1 Kings 17. Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here. Turn eastward and hide in the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens bought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small cake of bread for me and from what you have, uh, from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel said. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman, and for her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord, spoken by Elijah. Hallelujah. What a tremendous passage of Scripture that is. It's very energizing in its story. 
But you know, we, as we have started looking at Elijah, we've just come in, as it were, on the first verse, and we've noticed how that Elijah suddenly appears on the scene. There we are reading through the book of Kings, reading about the kings of Israel, the kings of Judah, and trying to establish about what they've been doing and what's going on, and suddenly, here is Elijah appeared on the scene. This man of God has come. And as we have looked back over the last few weeks, we have seen that Elijah was a man who was deeply stirred with the state of his nation. The kings who had been beforehand, even quite a long way back, Jeroboam the king, had started to institute in the northern part of Israel two more places of worship. The people were supposed to be going to Jerusalem. That is where everything was supposed to be happening. That was the appointed place where God was, God was, as it were, and where they were to bring their sacrifices. But he was saying it's time for some modernization. It wasn't just modernization. It suited him for his political aims. He needed to know that he was secure in the northern part of the country. So he had called these people and said, listen, we're now going to make Dan and Bethel two other places. Hey, why go all the way down to Jerusalem? You can come here. We're going to make you a couple of golden calf idols to go along with that. So it really looks like it's a place of worship, a place of where you can meet with God and you can do things with God. So he had this modernization, as it were, of society, and this had changed. But as far as God was concerned, broke his heart. I have my ways for my people. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. And here is an example of that. Because God was saying, for me and my ways, I need you to come to Jerusalem. I need you to come because this is the place where I have putting my name. This is the place where you meet with me. This is the place where sacrifices are made. But change had come. And though the people were now walking, they were used to these ways. They were used to what was going on. So we become so familiar with new things that come in. Yes, there's disturbance when new comes. When people say you can change your community group, there's disturbance. But you know what? After a couple of weeks going to a new group, you settled in with some more people. Hey, it's fine. I'm really pleased. This is good. I made the right decision. Suddenly we get used to it. The people of Israel, this has been years now. But as far as God is concerned, and if you read the Kings, even certainly as you come up to this point through reading through 1 Kings, you keep on hearing this statement, they did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam. God was angry about it. It was causing God an offense over the people. But that wasn't only it. Now we've got Ahab who has arrived on the scene. Ahab, he's married Jezebel, daughter of King Ethbaal, the one who was with Baal, the one who had devoted himself to Baal. And Baal worship was now coming in through this marriage relationship. And so not only have we gone away from the ways of God, now we were introducing hey, lots of modern stuff. We know we're going to have a free, easy life. We're going to be doing our sacrifices in the way that we want, at the place that God wants, because this is what the king said. We're doing it the right way. They were so far off track, they had no idea. No idea. The heart of one man was grieved over his nation. He was grieved over his he was grieved over what he saw. God had been interacting with him. He had the spiritual insight and understanding to see this is not what God wants. Jesus says in the New Testament that he has come to bring life and life in abundance. That's the heart of God towards his people. The heart of God is not to bring death, not to bring separation, not to bring isolation, not to bring hardship, not to bring distress, but to bring life in all of its fullness. And you know what? That life can sustain you through hardship. That life can sustain you through difficulties. That life can lift you up. That is the heart of God towards his people. The heart of God towards the nation was that they would be my people and I will be their God. And we will know I would dwell among them. Every other nation will know that I am the Lord God Almighty through the interaction that they have with me. This is why we need to be on fire for God. Because when you go to your offices and your places of work and your schools and your universities and the places where you go from, from here, shops or wherever it may be, 
standing at the school gate for mums, traveling on the train for dads, or whatever that might be. We need to be carrying the anointing of God into those places that the people who do not know God may see that there is a God who is alive in his people. Just like he had planned for the nation of Israel. But that hadn't happened. Things had gone away. Things had gone wrong. So we saw the background, but we also saw the fact of who Elijah was. Praise God, Elijah was just a regular guy. He was just a normal guy. He was a man just like us. But he was a man who prayed earnestly. And we saw last week that he was a man, the spiritual state of his nation had moved him into a place of burden for his nation. And we challenged ourselves, and I want to challenge us again. Are we, am I, really being motivated with a compassion for my nation that is driving me to my knees? You see, when we have crisis in our homes, so often we start to do things, right, something has got to give. It may be a family member who's sick. It might be somebody else who has got financial problems within the family. You're thinking, like, what can we do to help? How can we sort the situation out? It might be that suddenly one of your pipes in the loft has started leaking or dripping. I've got to get that fixed. I need to sort this out. There is action that needs to be taken. There is a similar action that needs to be taken in our lives. If we are calling ourselves the people of God and there is a spiritual understanding in us, then there needs to be an awakening in our hearts that is driving us to our knees where we are saying, God, you've got to break into our land. There needs to be an arising desperation in our hearts, just as there was with Elijah. He was an ordinary man, but he was a praying man. He was an interceding man. He was a man who knew his God. And we see that. We see that because he was coming to God. We see that from the point of view that you don't actually develop a burden for your land without walking with your God. Because this isn't a burden that we naturally carry. This is a burden that he naturally carries. For God so loved the world. That scripture shows us the burden of God. He loves the people. Not just us. The people that are wandering around in Marks and Spencers, or the people who are buying in Maplins, probably more men in Maplins than women, Probably more women in Marks and Spencers than men. I don't know. <laughs> the people out there. God is just not interested. Can you hear? He's not just interested. He is deeply moved. His heart is burdened for them. Elijah was a man who knew his God. And what had happened there was the contagion, as it were. What was on God's heart was starting to rest on him. How much do we need to pray for that? Oh God, give me your heart. Father, I no longer, I can no longer stand sort of interested. I need to be broken for the things that break your heart. That's where we come to Elijah. That's what we have read about for him. And we're going to press in a little bit further this week. I want to look at this. Elijah. How he lived. How he lived. We've seen his background. We've seen a little bit about who he was. Now we want to look through this passage today at how he lived. You know, I think it's worth us asking a question at this point. For him to get to this place of faith in trust in God, did it cost him anything? And I don't mean, did he have to pay up a thousand pounds to enter the school of the prophets and go to certain courses and get some sort of Israelite degree or something like that that enabled him to take his position. I don't mean, did it cost him financially? Because it didn't cost him financially. Did it cost him something? I believe it, it did cost him. It cost him his life. You see, Jesus says to us, anybody who comes to me, firstly, he doesn't reject them. But when we come to him, he is purchasing us. We belong to him. That's what it means. When we are saved, we are redeemed by him. Who's the one who has paid the price? He has. He's the one who owns our lives. For us, we need to be surrendering the same way. There was a cost, and I think as we look through this, just keep that in the back of your mind. Is there a cost here? Is there a cost? Well, there's a cost to spending time in prayer. There's a cost to devoting yourself to God. Are we willing 
pay that price. Elijah was. We don't read about it. We don't read about how he had those wrestles. We don't understand about what was going on in his mind. We don't understand the times when Elijah says, I'm fed up with praying today. We don't read of those things. But those are the things that we experience as we seek to press in. We go through very real experiences. It's not as though there's no spiritual darkness around us. It's not as though that we're not entertaining some sort of spiritual battle. We're entertaining spiritual battles all the time. Because the powers of darkness want to prevent the purposes of God coming to pass. But it is time for the people of God to arise and to say and to ask themselves this question Am I willing to surrender my life and to say, God, have your way in me? So let's just keep that at the back of our minds. Chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew or rain in the next few years except at my word. Do you think he smiled? I don't know. There's an element of power in that, don't you think? There's an element of authority. Mr. Nobody, Mr. Ordinary, He's standing before the king. How did that happen? Did he know the king before? Was he the king's cousin or brother? Or He was probably more than five times separated from the king. But God can open ways where he wants his purposes to be fulfilled. And here, Elijah stands before the king. And he says to the king, it's going to be dry. It's going to be very dry. And it's going to continue to be dry because unless I say so, there will be no rain. And then he leaves. Now, just a second. What environment is he bringing this message into? He's bringing this message into an environment where there is the uprise of the worship of Baal and Ashtoreth. And in our first week, we looked a little bit about that, about how these idols are really the idols of our hearts. From the point of view, it's we're giving ourselves to self-fulfillment and self-love. But one of the also the attributes or the reasons that they worship the Baal is because they recognized the people were saying, that is, that they thought the Baal was the one that gave them fertility. They gave the land the crops. They enabled the, the sheep and the goats to, to reproduce effectively so their flocks were increasing. They had great produce. So, of course, what Elijah is doing when he comes here, he is declaring before the king, it's going to be dry. It's going to be very dry. He's also underlining the fact, you know that God of Baal that you're serving, who's supposed to be supporting you and making all your crops grow, etc. I'm just drawing a line under the fact that he has not got any power. Now, I think it's interesting to note at this point as well, that as far as Elijah is concerned, when he was pressing into prayer, he had come to a place in God where he was really connecting with God. Just think about it. You don't just sort of... Name it and claim it. At my word, it's not going to rain in England for the next five years. I honestly don't think that that's actually going to carry much weight, to be quite honest. And I don't think you I think it's going to carry much weight either. But if God speaks, and I know he has spoken, then I declare it's different matter. In that place of prayer, Elijah had warred and wrestled, and he had come to a point with God to know that he had authority in the heavenly realms and that God had given him the ability that at his word, the control of the weather systems over the nations would be down to him. That exchange, that knowledge, that wisdom had taken place. So as he explained that to the king, he was, he was issuing a command, he was issuing a statement, he was throwing something out against the gods of the nations. He was saying this is what it is. Now, it's interesting, if we jump back a little bit into Solomon, when Solomon actually came king, and he had established the temple and done that, and when he dedicated the temple, Solomon was praying. And if we were to look back at one of Solomon's prayers, Solomon is going on about the fact that if you should withhold rain, if you should do this, and he's showing the people through his prayer that if the people are rebelling against God, if the people are doing wrong before God, these things are going to happen. But if they turn back to God, he will restore them. 
So there would have been a religious understanding, a knowledge in their system, that when you start to have drought, God is saying something. What was happening here is it was a stirring. It was a shaking that was happening to this nation. It was a shaking that God was sending. Just like us now. I know that our bank balances haven't been affected, as it were, because our particular bank hasn't collapsed. But you know what? There is a massive financial problem. When you have the governor of the Bank of England declaring this week, things are as worse, if not worse, than the 1930s. Which is far, I mean, I can't remember that, because I wasn't born then. But for those who know the history, or who even lived through that, sorry, obviously not many people have lived through it. Um, for those that know about that, times were hard. Times were very hard. We've got youngsters who are going to be leaving school soon, or those who are going to be leaving university. How are they going to find jobs? What's the job market going to look like? There's a shaking going on. We know there's a shaking going on. Why would there be a shaking going on in the financial world that's really going to affect the Western world? Well, where do we put our faith? We put our faith in Baal because he's going to actually give us all the things we need, just like the people of Israel? Or are we putting our faith in money? A good number of years ago, I was earning a far lot more money than I am now. Because I had a job in the city and I was able to do some trading and I was able to not only earn a salary that was good but able to get a bonus that was good because I had a share in what I made in the financial market. I was well provided for. God was very good. I had known what it is to have money. I now know what it is not to have nearly so much money. But that's, praise God, God has blessed us all the way through and has helped us as far as that's concerned. But you know what? I know that money is a security. I know during those times, even when you've got a bit of money in the bank, hey, it's okay. The bills are coming in, you see that money shrinking, but there's still some there. But when the savings account goes empty, when we come down to just income and expenditure, things start to get a little bit tighter. And at the moment, every household is under pressure. We all know there's been rising prices. We all know that the price of our food has gone up. We know that the price of our bills has gone up. We, know that our, we all know that our accounts are under pressure. They are under pressure. We're feeling it. There is a shaking going on. Because the Lord, the God of Israel, is saying, who are you trusting in? Where is your trust? Can I just say, you know what? If you have enough money at the moment, that's a hardship as much as having no money because there's a responsibility that goes with owning money. All of it, whether we have much or little, our trust needs to be in the Lord. And just as Israel was coming under shakings, just as Elijah was preparing them, preparing the king, there's a shaking coming. It's going to be dry. And you know what it means when there's no rain? Your crops fail. They can just about sometimes spring up out of the earth and then there's no rain, and so it's just the sun is beating down, beating down, dries up, fails. There's no crops. When there's no crops, there's no food. There's no food for the families. There's no food for the animals. The animals start to become starved that they can no longer reproduce properly. The, the animals are not only not being able to reproduce, the animals themselves are dying. When there's no rain, there's no accumulation of water. The places where you were going to get your water may be drying up. There was a problem that was hitting the nation. And that's the circumstance that we see Elijah come into. Now I give that background again because we have to remember that this story is running through this story. This is the backdrop. You know like when you go to the cinema and they start off and the first few scenes are about the core part of the story and suddenly you move somewhere else. It's going to be a little bit like that today. Because we're now going to move away from this scene. We're now going to go away and look at Elijah and what he was doing. But all the time, the backdrop is that there is a shaking going on in the nation. The king knows about it. He knows that at the word of Elijah, that's the only word that's going to bring rain. Otherwise, it's going to be dry, very dry. I guess for the first few weeks, the king thought, what's the matter with this nutter? What's he on about? Can you be sure? Do you know what? It hasn't rained for two months. Whew, 
He was lucky with that, wasn't he? <laughs> Don't worry, everything's going to be all right. It's rainy season coming. Rainy season comes, but there is no rain. It's dry season. And you go from the rainy season, which was dry, into the dry season, which is dry. And so on, and so forth. He begins to realize this guy is speaking under the authority of God. Okay, that's the background to what we want to do. Now we can actually get on with what we're going to look at today. How did Elijah live? Elijah lived a life that was surrendered to God. Surrendered from the point of view that he did what God asked him to do. He was to that point where if God says it, I will do it. No questions. That's the point he had got to in his life. And it takes us to get to that position if we are going to see, I believe, the similar transformation in our nation as Elijah was able to bring to his own nation. How did Elijah live? First of all, and I'm going to look at this under two points, the position of faith. The position of faith. How did Elijah live? The position of faith. Firstly, Elijah believed that God was his shepherd. Elijah believed that God was his shepherd. As we read in verse 3, then the word, or verse 2, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan. Now, unfortunately, I did have a picture, which I forgot to, to bring with me today, but the picture is of something that looks like one of these ravines. Okay, it is barren rocks. That's it. Just barren rocks. Rocks, mountain, Rocks on the ground, broken up rocks near the stream because there's a river running through it, it's rocks, dry. Just imagine a moment of what Elijah was in Samaria talking to the king. Samaria, do you prefer it in Bromley and being around suburbs and that type of thing? Or do you want to be out in a hot, dry place where there's just rocks and a little stream? Uh, I think I was saying the city, actually because that's where people are, that's where food is, that's where action's taking place. There's a nice feeling about this place. I like it here. This is where my life is. This is where my home is. In you see, Elijah trusted that God and believed in God to be his shepherd. The role of the shepherd is to take care of the sheep. The shepherd will guide them to places where there is good grass. The shepherd looks after the sheep. The shepherd knows what the sheep need. The shepherd will take the sheep from this place and he'll move them onto this place. Here's some good grass for my sheep. That's good. Okay, they seem to have eaten that. Right, okay, sheep, we're going on. And he leads his flock to the next place. He makes sure they get there. If any of the sheep are sick, he's looking after them. He's watching out for them. He's protecting them. The role of the shepherd is to look after the sheep. Elijah trusted that God was going to be his shepherd. Psalm 23, verse 1, which is a psalm that is familiar to many people, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want, is what David there writes in the Psalms. Now, it's interesting, and I heard this from somebody else this week, but it's just so excellent. The full weight of the Hebrew word that is translated, the Lord is my shepherd, actually means this, the Lord shepherds me. Do you hear that? There's a great difference in that. The Lord is my shepherd. That's like a little title. Good. I'm very pleased about that. The Lord shepherds me. Do you see how much more personal that is? That is the meaning of what he's putting across. The Lord shepherds me. What does a shepherd do? A shepherd looks out for the sheep. A shepherd guides them to the right places. A shepherd makes sure they're okay. Scripture informs us. The Lord shepherds me. So when we read that, we should be reading it like this. The Lord shepherds me. It is an active thing that is happening now. The Lord is my shepherd has a sense about it which that could be quite useful. The Lord shepherds me is an ongoing, active thing that is happening. The Lord desires to shepherd us. Would you class yourself as a good sheep? Or would you class yourself as a wayward sheep? The Lord desires to shepherd us. He desires to help us. He is actively involved in my life. 
Elijah had the faith for this. When God says to him, Elijah, I want you to go now to this place. He goes. He doesn't question. He goes. But it's barren. There's no shops there. I don't like it. It's a change from where I'm at. It's, 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 oh, I don't like feeling different. I don't want to be moved out. I don't want to be moved on. I don't want to go to somewhere else. I need you to go to this place. The Lord shepherds me. The Lord is my navigation system. The Lord is watching over me. The Lord knows what I need. I shall not be in want. He is the one who will help me. He is the one that will guide me. He knows the way to get there. He can lead me to this place. Even if I didn't have a map and I don't know the way to go, he can take me there because he is my God. He is the creator of all things. I can put my trust in him. I can put my confidence in him. He knows what he's about. He knows how to help me. He is shepherding me. I can therefore arise with faith and trust in him that he will lead me forward. Elijah knew that God was his shepherd. Jesus says to us, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. The one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name. Now, I know when I read that, a lot of you think, yeah, that's great that Jesus is our shepherd, but it says there that he knows us, he calls us by name, we know his voice. I don't know whether I know his voice. And suddenly, there's all sorts of panic comes into your mind. to think like, am I included in this? Listen, just remember this this morning. God is not just your shepherd. God is shepherding you. He is shepherding you. He is guiding you. Despite our rebellion, despite our fears, despite our waywardness, despite our corruption, despite our anger and frustration, despite our religiousness, despite our selfishness, he is shepherding us. I praise God for his faithfulness to every one of us. He is indeed good. It sounds easy, doesn't it, to take this position, but it's not easy. Elijah had to have confidence in God. The position of faith that he held was that Elijah believed that God was his shepherd. The position of faith that he held was that Elijah believed that God was his provider. God was his provider. Not only his shepherd, but his provider. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. Don't provide for yourself, Elijah. Don't go to the supermarket before you leave the city. Don't take your backpack with you. Don't take your carrier bag full of sandwiches, whatever they had in those days. Don't take, all right, not even unleavened bread, nothing. You take nothing with you because I am going to provide for you. God, you are my shepherd. You are shepherding me. I trust in you. I trust in you? How would you feel about this? You're going to have the birds feed me? H Hello. I don't know too many people, apart from those in Disney films, you know, like the Cinderella or whatever it is, where the little birds come through the window and they, they feed her and they tidy the house and lovely things like that. What else do you know that the birds are feeding people? If that's in a fairy tale, okay, which we have been told they're not real, even though we might like to believe they're real, or little girls would love to believe it's all real, God is saying to him, by the way, the ravens are going to come and give you breakfast. You see, it challenges our thinking. And that's the first thing we need to realize. Our minds get in the way of faith in God. What he declares, he shall accomplish. What he speaks, he is able to fulfill. Now, not that we want to be offended by this, but we need to be encouraged by it. It is possible for an ordinary man or an ordinary woman, because that is the description that we have of Elijah, to rise to a place of faith where they can believe the things that God says and carry them out. Even if he is saying, do not pass Sainsbury's or Tesco's, Asda or anywhere else, take with you no food. I want you to go to the northern parts of Scotland, to a tiny little place by a stream. I want you to stay there. I will feed you. I will feed you because the birds will provide for you. That we can arise to a position of faith where we say, God, you are my shepherd. 
you're shepherding me. If you're giving me this instruction, you are able to do what you have promised. I will trust in you. And that's what Elijah did. Now, you know the whole thing about Jehovah Jireh, which is a name that comes in Scripture, which is translated, Jehovah is my provider. And this is the God that, the name that was given to God by Abraham when he was actually taking his son Isaac up the mountain to go and sacrifice his son. And just as he was about to raise up the dagger to sacrifice his son and to kill him, to show that he was obeying the word of the Lord, then there was the ram caught in the thicket. God himself will provide. And the ram was provided for the sacrifice and Isaac was released because God had tested him enough. That is where this phrase, God is my provider, Jehovah Jireh, but you know, I looked into this as well. And Adam Clark in his commentary on the Old Testament says this, Jehovah Jireh, in literally interpreted, means the Lord will see that is. It seems a bit strange to us, but literally translated, it means the Lord will see that is. So it has behind it this whole understanding that God will take care of everything that needs to be done and is necessary for the comfort and support of those who trust in him. And therefore, to make it more understandable to our language, we declare God is our provider. He is the one who watches. But it is this idea that God sees the need. God sees your need. He sees your need. And he can help you in the midst of that need. That is what this is referring to. We need to know God in this way. We need to grow up into this. In Matthew 6.25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Well, to be honest, we would say, I don't think I necessarily agree with that because of the way we conduct ourselves. But the truth is, if our lives are being stripped down and down and down and our finances are going and going, you know what? We're going to be brought to a point, whether we like it or not, where we're going to have to say, God, unless you come, I don't know what to do. I suggest we learn to grow our faith in him as quickly as we can. Because that would help us. We need to know that this statement that God is shepherding us, this statement that God is seeing and making it happen, causing it to come to pass, needs to enter our hearts. This morning I was thinking about the disciples. So often in the New Testament you read about the disciples and Jesus, even in Matthew's Gospel, seven times Jesus says to them, oh ye of little faith. And I thought, you know, sometimes that's how I feel. When it comes to these statements, because this is almighty God wanting to impart himself into us, to lift us up, to help us, so that we can be his people. It's not that he's not doing anything, he's actively trying to pour out himself into our lives. And yet we're struggling. And it's like Jesus was saying to the uh, disciples, oh, for goodness sake, guys. I'm healing the sick, I'm raising the dead, I'm doing miracles here, there, and everywhere. And all you are doing, you know. It's the situation where he feeds the 5,000 and the next day in the boat, there's some statement made about bread. And they were saying, bread, bread, have we got enough bread? Can we supply it's like, for goodness sake, yesterday I'm feeding 5,000 out of some kid's lunchbox. It's a McDonald's Happy Meal that's feeding 5,000 people. Let's get it in perspective. But they hadn't got it in perspective. You are so small in your faith. But I took courage from this. You never read about that statement after the cross and they've gone through into the, into the time when Pentecost comes. You never read it in the Acts of the Apostles. Of the Apostles. God is able... And what's more, men and women are able to lay hold of this God. This is not something that's out of our reach. God wants us to know him. He wants us to draw near to him. And one of the amazing things that I see in this, patcher, in this passage that we're reading this morning is this. We've just got to this point where we're seeing about Elijah. This guy who is supposed to be like us, right? 
He's got a prayer life that's off the scale. We're feeling a bit wobbly about that. He is now a man of faith who's standing, declaring about the, about the weather systems, and now he's got no problem about understanding that God says if he's the shepherd, he's the shepherd. He's got no problem in understanding if God says he's the provider, he's the provider. He has no problem about it. But the delightful thing in this passage is we now go into a time when we're now going to see what this looks like in terms of how do we come to faith. What does it mean? What are some of the things that hinder our faith? What are some of the things that restrict our faith? So as it were, we now go into part two of this. Oh, no. Just a slight aside, but it's wonderful just to finish off about Elijah here. So having had the... Oh, yeah, I forgot a load of stuff here. Just to say, look, we get caught in our world, okay? Three meals a day. Breakfast, dinner, tea. All right, God, you tell me to go somewhere. You're going to feed me. Let's have it as it is normal. No, 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 no. You're only going to eat at breakfast time and in the evening. And it's only going to be what the birds bring to you. Uh, can I just challenge you a moment? What if God was asking us to do this? Listen, from tomorrow, you're only going to have water to drink in the morning. Only water. No tea, no coffee. What about my caffeine? What about my latte? Forget that. You have just water to drink. Morning and evening, and you have, what, a good plate full of food? No, you have just amount that ravens can bring to you. So you're now being limited. That's what you get, morning and evening. How quickly would an outcry arise from us? It's not enough. I can't cope. What's my body going to look like? How am I going to survive? Who are you? Listen, folks, we need to put ourselves in these places because the questions and the anger, the frustration that comes to our minds shows us where we are at in our level of faith. But God doesn't show it to break us down and to make us realize that we're nothing. He wants us to realize that we're nothing, that we can become something in him. This is all designed for our benefit. Even for Elijah, it then goes on to say, and of course, he's the bloke who said there was going to be dry, it's going to be very dry. How do you think he felt when he saw the river diminishing? That's his drink. Listen, you can go without food for a long while. You cannot go without water. Three days, unless God is supernaturally doing something, you can't, your body can't do without water. What is Elijah going to do? I guess he was praying, God, it looks like the river's going. I no doubt you've got plans. I've no doubt you've got plans. Now, here we come on to the widow at Zarephath. Indeed, God did have plans. Sometime later, the brook dried up. So there were stones and rocks everywhere. And that was all, as far as he was concerned. The word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow, to feed you. So Elijah comes into this next part of the scene. It's amusing that he goes to Sidon, Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, the place where the worship of Baal was. Just amusing that not only is he affecting his own nation, he's now starting to affect somebody in another nation. He has gone to that place. He's got to go and find a widow. He's got instructions. You've got to go and find a widow. You've got to ask her for a drink of water. You need to ask her for bread because I have instructed her to provide for you. So he's got his instructions and off he goes. It's pretty good, isn't it, to go to the town that you're looking for and the first person you see, according to the story here or what we're led to believe, he came to the town gate. A widow was there gathering sticks he called to her, will you bring me a little water in a jar so that I might have a drink? And I guess whatever she said, fine, yeah, I'll go and get you a drink. They've got water there. They've got no problems with water. That's good. But as she's going, he calls after, oh, 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 oh just a second. By the way, could you just bring me a little bit of bread? Just a little bit of bread. Because don't forget, he's only used now to eating small dinners. So have a little bit of bread. Thank you very much. And he gets this reply. I don't have any bread. I don't have any bread. I only have a handful of flour and a little oil in a jug. So what did Elijah do? Did he throw a hissy fit? Oh, goodness sake. That's no good. I've hit the wrong one. Sorry, you're the wrong widow. <laughs> Apologies about that. You carry on. 
I'm going to go and find somebody else. Are there any other widows around here that can help me? He's not going to do that. Elijah is a man who knew his God. Elijah was a man who knew that he was being shepherded. He knew that God was providing. Thus he could make declarations. But for us as we go into this story, how does the faith that Elijah has start within us? How does that faith start within us? When he speaks to the lady, she says, I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. I just want to look at this subject. How does faith like this start? Under three more quick points. First of all, dealing with fear. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah says to her, verse 13, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. One of the biggest things that comes against our faith is fear. Fear. What if I was to say to you, God is saying, I am your provider. Don't worry about your bank balance. What's the first thing that comes to you? Are you sure? Can I cope? What's going to happen? How does this work? How does it work when I've got no money? And how am I going to provide for myself? How am I going to provide for my family? How's this going to work out? Help me, God. Help me. Something's going wrong here. I can't afford to do this. Quickly, let me go to another job. Help, help, help. Fear starts to over us. Fear starts to come upon us. Fear is anti-faith. Fear stands against faith. Listen, do you have fear in your life? Because you need to deal with it. We need to address it. We need to look at it. We need to gaze upon God that we can start to command this fear to go. Faith comes from God. How do we get faith? Without faith, it's impossible to please him. But those who come to him must believe that he exists and that he is the rewarder of those who earnestly seek after him. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How can we increase our faith, the disciples said to Jesus. And he gives them this bizarre story of a servant who's out, a slave out in a field. When he comes back from working in the fields for you, do you say to him, hey, slave, sit down and I'll cook you dinner? No, you don't. You say, you are my slave. So you expect him to come in, cook you dinner, and then after he's served you, then he can go and have his dinner. That's Jesus' reply to increase our faith. Huh? What Jesus is saying is, listen, you need to be in the Word of God. That is how we are developing faith. Faith comes by hearing the Word. If you're not reading the Word of God, you are denying your life the ability to be built up in faith. We need to put it quite firmly, because otherwise we don't see that that's what's happening. If we are not reading the Word of God, we are denying ourselves the ability to grow in faith. Secondly, we need to be obedient to what we are reading. We need to be obedient to those words. We need to be receiving those words and taking them into our lives. So listen, if you are living a life that is very sparse on the word of God, you are going to find fear has more ability to have hold of you than faith. I'm not talking anything great here. This is just facts. This is just facts. And that's what we see with this woman. This woman at first, she was bound with fear. The fear was, and it was a very great reality for her. The fear was, listen, mate, you don't know what's going on in my household. I'm gathering these sticks because I just want to make a little bit of a fire so I can cook the last of what we have so that my son may eat it with me and then we're going to die because we've got nothing else. Fear had taken hold of her. She did not know the God of Israel. She did not know this God. But Elijah was there to represent this God. We need to address fear. Fear crushes faith. Fear dissolves faith. We need to hold on to faith, which means we need to look away with fear. So how does this faith start? We need to deal with fear. Look, stop entertaining it. Stop entertaining it. We've already looked at the fact that when God comes, we've got to allow him just to bypass our minds. 
God says, I want to feed you. I'm going to feed you with ravens. We've got, whoa, how's that going to happen? I've got another idea. Why don't you do this? God, wouldn't it be easier if you were to give me Sainsbury's vouchers or something like that? Help me. Perhaps Tesco's, all right, whatever, it'll be Aldi. That's fine by me. We need to stop trying to work it out. Working it out, reasoning, holding on to fears. If you're holding on to fears, you're not walking in faith. Anything that is not of faith, Paul says, is sin. Let's address this issue. If we are walking in fear, we are walking in sin. Because God is the God who is shepherding us. He is the God who is providing for us. He does not change. It's not like, oh, last week, do you remember last week I told you that God was our shepherd? Well, of course, that's finished this week. God says no more shepherding. Sorry, that's stopped. Oh, and by the way, provider, no, he says that I can provide so much, but according to the European bank, we're going a bit dry. I can't do it this week, sorry. He is forever the same. He is the eternal God from everlasting unto everlasting. He remains the same. If he remains the same and he is shepherding us and he is providing for us, who is it that changes? Us. We need to address our fear. Fear, you have no right to have any authority in my life. I belong to Jesus Christ. I command fear to leave me. I, dep- I command you to depart from my world. You have no right to have authority over me. Now, you know what? We may start saying, oh, good, I'm going to use that prayer. Right. First thing tomorrow, my fears are sorted. They're not necessarily going to be sorted tomorrow. Just like the disciples didn't change from a place of, oh, ye of little faith on the first time they heard it. But as they walked with the Son of God, as they gazed upon his majesty, as he went through the cross, as he came up from the grave, as he returned back into heaven, as they started to come to him in earnest prayer, something began to stir. With the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they came to a place. I am trusting he is able to do what he has said. We need to deal with fear in our lives. Secondly, we need to deal with our priorities. Elijah had said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first, but first, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, but first. If we're going to grow in our faith, there needs to come a point where we're going to have to deal with the but firsts. There are going to be some priorities that we've got to bring into our lives. We've got to deal with them. So often it's like, yes, I know that's important, but I'm going to push that aside because I'll make that a secondary issue. Now, come on, what else are we dealing with here? No, no, but first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But first, but, 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 no, but first do this. There are some things that we have got to deal with. If we're going to see our faith starting to develop, growing, we're dealing with fear and we're dealing with our priorities. What are your priorities? What are the things that are really gripping your life? What are the things that are ruling your life? What are the things that, look, I can't change that. That can't give. There's no way that I can come to a prayer meeting at that time. There's no way. Or do you just mean that the duvet is talking to you in the morning? Stay here. It's lovely in here. It's warm in here. I hate the alarm clock. Let me put it on snooze. Let me put it on silent snooze. <laughs> look, these things happen. We've got to deal with the but first. But first, we have to seek the kingdom of God. But first, we've got to deal with the priorities of God. Otherwise, you know what? We're full of hot air. Oh, we want to see Bromley saved. I want to see my neighbours transformed. I'll pay any price. But first becomes but second, but third, but fourth. Gets pushed down the line. Listen, it's time to stop. We're not dealing with small things here. We're dealing with the realities of the kingdom of God. We're dealing with the great I am who has poured out his life for us. Jesus came to set us free from the dictates of the world. How can I walk in them any longer? Or is my life or our lives so tied up with the bar worship of ourselves? so tied up with our natural desires, 
our passions and our lusts that are ruling our soul, that we don't have time for him. We need to deal with our fear. We need to deal with our priorities. And lastly, we just need to obey. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. Now what does this woman do? She's heard the word of the Lord. She's got a man of God standing before her. She's got to make a choice. You know, right now, right now, this is what faith looks like. About making a choice. You choose me, and choose to stay where you are. Choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what Joshua said to the children of Israel before they went into the promised land. Choose you this day whom you will serve. There was a choice. And this is why I think this passage shows us so much, because it's real. You can get in the story. You can feel what this woman was feeling. Listen, I've got pressures in my life you don't understand about. I've got a small son. I'm supposed to be caring for him. How do you think it feels? You were one parent family. How do you think it feels? It's tough for me. I'm having enough trouble paying the bills, sorting things out. Now, listen, this is where it's at. I've got no money. I've got no money. What we've got is this little jar of oil and this little bit of flour. That's all I've got. We have nothing else. We've got no other means. We've got no other visible means of support. We've got no other help. There's nobody here to help us. And you are saying to me, give me some of your bread. Now that's a reality. That's what it feels like. That's the position that we get taken to. That's the place that God puts us in. That's what it feels like. It feels like this woman's heart right then. And Elijah says to her, but first, go and make me this. Because I declare to you, the jar of oil's not going to run out. The flour's not going to run out until it starts to rain again. Now this is what gripped me, this sense of like, wow. I don't have to try to, I can be in this story. I can be in this widow's position. I can feel what it feels like because that's telling me the call of faith that's coming to me. Because in the midst of that, has she got screaming around her, this guy could just be a charlatan. This guy could be a nutter. How do I know? Don't you realize I'm giving away my last piece? God often calls us to give ourselves away. He calls us to give ourselves away. Listen, this hurts. This is hurting me. I can't afford to give myself away. I am broke. I can't afford to give anymore. But as we give ourselves away, he comes to meet with us. The wonderful thing here is that the widow obeyed. She obeyed. She obeyed, and what happened? There was an opening of provision for her son and her. How much do we need the opening of God's provision for our lives? Look, it's true to say, we may be pressing into some of the things of God, but there is a barrenness still about us. It's true to say that God has been revealing good things to us as a church and a people. It's true to say that we've started to see that our need of prayer and our need of Bible reading, but it's also true to say that we desperately need an encounter with the living God. It's also true to say that we do not understand that he is shepherding us and that I can trust him to take me from where I am to where I need to be, if I will only let go, if I will only abandon myself to him, if I will only release myself to him, if I will only let go of all the stuff that's holding me, if I really believed in the power of prayer, I would be at the prayer meeting regardless of the time, as long as I can get away from my home and my children and my responsibilities. But I would be here. So what we're doing is we're living with our words, but our lives are displaying the truth of our lives. 
that I don't think that that has power. I don't think that that's going to change. I don't think that's the way to do it. Here, give us another Sunday afternoon service and we'll be all right. No, we won't be, because the nation needs transforming. And we are the people who are called by his name. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, What are the wicked ways? The wicked ways are the former ways that we've been walking in, the ways that we have been holding on to, the ways that we have been thinking that are right, the ways that are going somewhere, but they're actually not leading unto the promised land, the ways that are not producing the fruit of the kingdom of God. Those are the ways that we're still holding on to, because if you're like me, you want that way, and you want some of this way, and you keep running between the two. It is time for us to realize that we have to make decisions just like the widow, am I going to trust in the God who has said he is going to give me Or am I going to go back to Tesco's? This is what we're being presented with in this passage. As far as I'm concerned, I've never seen Elijah like this. He was a man that we need to emulate not because, as we will go on to see at some stage, that he was able to call down fire from heaven. Do you know what? That's nothing. That is nothing. What is important is that he knew God. Because when you know him, the one for whom nothing is impossible, then for you, all things become possible. Because you know him. What's your need this morning? What battles are you facing? What things are you finding difficult? There's plenty of things I'm finding difficult and struggling with. How am I going to grow in my faith? We need to deal with our fears. We need to make the right priorities. And we need to obey what he is telling us. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Is better than sacrifice. Obedience to what he says is king. Now God wants to break chains. He wants to set people free. Are you bound by fear? Are you going to say to him, Lord, I want you to break this fear. I I take authority now in the name of Jesus by the authority that we have as believers seated with him in the heavenly places over the spirit of fear that is binding our lives in Jesus' name. I command in the name of Jesus, that the spirit of fear be broken off of us in Jesus' name, that we may arise as the people of God. What are the things that are holding you? Financial problems? Our God is the one who sees, who sees. It is. He sees and it is because he's able to do that. Father, let us just pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, take us Oh, God, take us. Take us to a place of faith in you. Father, we are barren and we have need of you, O God. Have mercy upon our hearts, O God. Have mercy upon our lives, O God. We need you. We need you to open our eyes. We need you to give us understanding. We need you to come. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for our stubbornness. Forgive us for our obstinacy. Forgive us for our refusal to accept your word. Forgive us for our inability to trust your word. Forgive us for our half-heartedness. Forgive us, O God, because you desire your purposes to be fulfilled. You desire and have called us your people. You have chosen us and elected us for greater purposes than we are walking in because you desire to see the nation transformed. Lord, cause us to arise. I pray in the name of Jesus you deal with our hearts, Lord. Lord, you're not going to stop shepherding us. You are going to shepherd us, Lord. Lord, help us to put our faith in you, that you are shepherding us. You are going to help us from when we leave here. You're going to help us tomorrow. You are going to shepherd us through this week. Lord, you are going to provide for us. You are the God who knows. You are the God who sees. You are Jehovah, our provider. Lord, we want to live in you. We want to have faith in your name. 
Father, those who know your name will put their trust in you, is what your word declares. Father, we want to know your name in our hearts. Holy Spirit, Spirit of wisdom and revelation, come into this house today. Come upon our hearts today. Holy Spirit, rain down upon our hearts. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bring a brokenness to us, a new level of brokenness to our hearts, that we would be willing to submit and to surrender. Holy Spirit, I pray that you guide us as a people into the way that you want us to walk. I pray that you would reveal to us the blueprint and the mandate that you have for us as a church, that we may arise as a people and walk in it. I pray in the name of Jesus that you will bring wisdom and revelation, understanding and knowledge of the things that are yet to come, that, Father, that we may have understanding and we may walk in those ways. But, Lord, even if you do not bring that, we declare by faith we are the people of God called for your purposes and we shall arise according to your calling and to fulfill the mandate that is upon our lives. Father, help us to arise. In the name of Jesus, I address every spirit of prayerlessness that is over our lives. I command the spirit of prayerlessness to be broken off of us in Jesus' name. Father, let all stubbornness towards prayer, all resistance towards prayer melt away. Come with the fire of your Holy Spirit upon our lives and break us, O God, that we may arise as your people. To shine brightly, O God, as jewels in your crown. Help us to know how much we are loved by you, O oh God. Help us to know how much you are for us. Lord, if God be for us, who can be against us? If he who did not spare his only son, but freely gave him up for us all, how not also along with him shall he freely give to us all things? Father, we lay claim to your word. Father, draw us unto yourself. Let faith arise in our hearts, I pray. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or you're after more information about Bromley Town Church, do visit our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com.